Uh, so Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Thank you, Ross. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when he could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw a baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. I uh, mentioned reading a, a book uh, with a young woman. Um, and bizarrely, my wife happened to have that book in her bag. just thought I'd show it to you. Uh, it's called The Garden, The Curtain and The Cross. Uh, it would be an excellent Christmas present if you're looking for something for one of your kids or for a grandchild or something. Um, it's written by Carl Leiferton and illustrated by, oh, I can't even say that name, Catalina Echeverri. Um, if you'd like to have a look at it, uh, it'll be right here. Do you ever feel like God is absent? Do you ever look around and think, where's God? Life just seems to keep rolling on. And there's no sign of God's presence, no hint of His activity, nothing to show that He exists at all. Sometimes, there's a real sense of God's presence. It feels like He's with you, like He's active. You open His Word and it's like He's right there beside you, explaining it to you. And there's other times, it feels like God is missing in action. Do you ever feel like that? Today, we're going to look at a really famous Bible story, the baby in the basket. But it's a really strange story for the Bible because it doesn't mention God at all. Now, we know that the Bible is a book about God. It's a book that teaches us who God is, teaches us what He's like. It shows us what He's done, it lets us hear His voice but this story doesn't mention God at all. It's like He's missing in action. The Old Testament does this sort of thing to us from time to time. Uh, as modern Western people, we like things in dot points. Um, point one, point two, point three, therefore I do that. That's, that's how we like our information to come. But the Bible doesn't do that. Pretty often, the Old Testament will present us with a story and then leave us to think about it. 
read between the lines, connect the dots, make some conclusions. The baby in the basket is one of those stories. It's a story about God in which God doesn't feature. Why don't we pray that God will help us to hear His voice as we read this story today? Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all Scripture to be written for our instruction, enable us so to hear, mark, learn and inwardly digest them that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, it's been about six months since I last spoke to you from the book of Exodus. Thanks, Scott, for letting me speak from Exodus again. Um, it, it's one of those things that I do that lightens my workload a little. I recycle these talks at various other churches I visit, um, but you guys get to hear them first, at least at the moment. No one else has, no one else has rushed ahead. Um, so let me recap the book of Exodus so far. Uh, the story of Exodus begins with the family of Israel moving from Canaan to Egypt. Now, they moved because one of Israel's 12 sons, a guy named Joseph, had hit the big time. You probably remember Joseph. He's the guy with the multicolored dream coat. Remember him? Well, after spending some time as a slave uh, and spending some time in prison, Joseph found himself as the second most important man in Egypt. Um, and at the time, Egypt was the most powerful and most cultured country around. He'd hit the big time in a big way. But then a famine hit and it looked like his family were about to die. And so Joseph relocated all of them, all 70 of them, to Egypt. And that's a big deal that they left Canaan and went to Egypt because God had made some promises to the family of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. Um, can anyone remember the three big promises that God made to Abraham? Sing them out. There's land. Thank you, Kathleen. People. Blessing. Well done. Uh, people, I'll give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. Blessing, I will bless you and I'll bless those who bless you and through you I'll bless every nation on the earth. And land, I'll give you the land of Canaan. These are the promises God made to Abraham. And so when the family of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, leave Canaan, it's almost like they're leaving behind the promises of God. It's almost like they're giving up on God. But God hasn't given up on them. Time passed, Israel died, Joseph and his 11 brothers died, but God hadn't given up on them. He began to keep His promise of descendants. The Israelites multiplied. They were exceedingly fruitful. And after 400 years, the land of Egypt was filled with them. So much so that the new Pharaoh began to be afraid. He didn't know Joseph. He didn't know Joseph's God. He had no reason to trust these people. He felt that they were a security risk. What if war breaks out? Whose side will they be on? And so he tried to reduce their numbers. His first plan was to enslave them chain gangs, forced labour. He used them to build new cities. 
the, the plan seems to have been to keep the men away from their families as much as possible in the hope that the population numbers will just subside a bit. But the plan failed. You can't stop the promises of God. Uh, the outcome of this plan was an outbreak of Israelites in the land, kind of like a plague of locusts. So Pharaoh tried another plan, a secret plan, an evil plan. He recruited the Hebrew midwives to start secretly killing any baby boys that were born. That's an evil thing to do. He was targeting the weakest and most defenseless members of the society. That's wicked. But the plan failed because you can't stop the promises of God. The midwives feared God and so they did not do as they were told. The Pharaoh was made to look like a fool by these two slave women. And the Israelites multiplied even more. And so Pharaoh went public. And this is where we left the story last time. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 22. If you've got a Bible open, you might find it helpful. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every baby that is born to the Hebrews, sorry, every boy that is born to the Hebrews you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. He recruits his entire population to do his dirty work. He's afraid of these slaves. He's trying to stop the promises of God, and so he asks his people to be complicit in evil. If a Hebrew boy is born, throw him into the crocodile-infested Nile River. The Nile River is famous for its crocs. They're not quite as big as the Australian saltwater crocs, but I'm told that they can eat you just as well. So, Israel are in Egypt. God is keeping His promise of many descendants. The Pharaoh is afraid and trying to rein in their numbers, but his plans keep failing. You can't stop the promises of God. But nevertheless, the Pharaoh's current public policy is to throw Hebrew boys into the river. And that's where our story begins for today. Let's take it from chapter 2, verse 1. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, the house of Levi is one of the 12 families of Israel. Uh, Levi was one of Israel's 12 sons, and these are his descendants. Um, So, this is a story about one of the families of Israel. It's not a story about an Egyptian. Okay, it's a small detail, but it's important. Um, and, it's, and it's often the case with, this, with Bible stories, we only get part of the story. Uh, good stories don't waste your time with all the details, they only give you what you need to know. Um, this baby is not the first baby that this man and wife have had. Uh, we're going to meet the baby boy's older sister in a few minutes' time, uh, and in a couple of chapters we get to meet his older brother. Now, that'll probably be about three years away, so, you know, you you can look that up yourself. Um, But this Levite man and woman already have a family, and here they are, they have another son. And immediately, there should be an alarm going off in the back of your head. A son? Oh, no! They're going to have to throw him to the crocodiles! Let's read on. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Whew! Good on you, Mum. What a brave Mum, actually, because we know that this Pharaoh has no respect for human life. Think about what he's been doing to Israel. 
He's enslaved the men. He's ordered the midwives to start murdering babies in secret. What's he going to do to this mum when she finds out, when he, if he finds out she's been hiding a baby? We don't know, but it's not going to be pretty. She's risking her life for her baby. And that's a pretty normal thing for a mother to do. But gee, she's still brave, isn't she? For three months, she hid her baby. But there is only so long you can hide a baby. The crying, the dirty nappies, someone's going to notice something. That look in new parents' eyes when they haven't slept properly in three months, I'm looking forward to that. Um, one of the older, the older brother or sister is going to say something to somebody. And so after three months, she gives in. She obeyed the Pharaoh and she threw her baby into the Nile. Have a look at verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket and coated it with tar and pitch. Ah, clever mum. Pharaoh didn't say anything about throwing the baby into the water. She's built a little boat. And she's taken papyrus, which is a reed that grew in, in Egypt, and she's woven a boat. She's obeyed the letter of Pharaoh's command, but she's creatively found a way to avoid being complicit in his evil. Uh, this is something that we can call moral imagination. Being creative and coming up with a way to avoid doing something evil. And look, as Christians, I think this is a skill we're going to need to develop in the coming months and years. Because we're on a collision course with the rest of our society, or 60% of them anyway. Um, we're going to need to develop our moral imagination. How can we do as we're ordered without being complicit in evil? We need to work on our moral imaginations. So, mum built him a boat. Actually, the original term is she built him an ark. You know, like in Noah's ark. Now, what's an ark? Well, it's a refuge that bears someone safely through the water. In the case of Noah's ark, Noah and his family went in, God shut the door and they came through the cataclysmic waters of death that destroyed everything on the planet, they came out the other side alive. This mum builds her baby an ark. She's hoping that by putting him into an ark, he'll come safely through the waters of death and out to life on the other side. I think she's quite consciously putting her baby into the hands of God trusting God to keep her baby safe, because she knows she can't do it. If she keeps her baby at home, he will be found and he will die. But she also knows that this is a crocodile-infested river, and so if she puts her baby in there, there's a good chance he'll die too. And if the crocs don't get him, well, the mozzies or the malaria probably will, or the dengue fever, or a leech, or he'll die of starvation, or worst of all, an Egyptian might find him. And then who knows what will happen. Her only choice is to commit her boy into the hands of God, to trust God to bring him safely through the waters of death and out the other side to life. This story reminds us that our God is sovereign over life and death. 
Life and death are in His hands. And the place we see this most clearly in the Bible uh, is in the death of the Son of God. God did not spare His own Son, He gave Him up for us all. Jesus went down to the place of death, but death could not hold Him. He came safely out the other side to life. Jesus entered the place of death in our place, that we might live forever with Him. Safe, eternally alive, never to die again. This baby in a basket is a picture of Jesus for us. He is given up to death, but He's used by God to give life to His people. We're getting a little ahead of our story today, um, but this baby in a basket will go on to be used by God to rescue His people from slavery. He'll be used by God to speak the life-giving words to His people. He'll be used by God to take this disparate group of families and bind them together into a holy nation, a nation used by God to bless the entire world. This baby is a picture of Jesus. Jesus, who was given up to death, by execution and yet in his death he was used to bring life to all of God's people. Jesus who in his death freed us from slavery to sin and death. Jesus who speaks the life-giving words of forgiveness. Jesus has taken people like us who might never otherwise cross paths and He's forged us into His holy church. We are part of a worldwide fellowship of people who belong to God because of Jesus. We are used by God in His plan to bless the whole world. And how do we do that? Well, we do it by sharing the incredible news that Jesus has gone into death and come safely out the other side, and that we too can pass through death to life on the other side with Him. That's incredible news. Parents, I want to encourage you to be like this mum. Trust your kids in God's hands. The temptation as a parent is to hold on to them so tightly, because no one can care for them like you do. But our, our loving Heavenly Father is able to care for your precious children. He can keep them safe, even through the valley of death. Now, entrusting your kids to God is an active task. It's something that takes place, I'm told, over years. Years of teaching them to pray. Years of opening the Bible with them. Uh, years of teaching them to depend on God and of actively modelling faith in Jesus. Because they'll grow up. They'll move out. And if they haven't learned to depend on God while in your house, well, the chances of them doing it later are pretty low. And look, that's something that a number of older parents among us can testify to. Some with great pain. Our God is sovereign over life and death. 
Will you trust Him with your children? Will you teach them to rely on Him even more than they rely on you? So, mum made an ark and, let's pick up the story, then she placed her boy in it and she put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now, this is one of the most famous scenes in the Bible, isn't it? The baby in the basket floating down the middle of the river. Except he's not, is he? Have a look again. She placed her child in the basket and put it among the reeds on the bank. This is one of those points that, when I noticed it the other day, made me realise how important it is to read the Bible slowly, especially with the familiar bits. Uh, This is one of those stories that you can read over in a couple of seconds because it's so familiar and often when we do that, we get the details wrong. Most kids' Bibles depict the baby in the basket in the middle of the river. I have a mental picture of that's what was happening, that's where Moses was. I think even that movie, The Prince of Egypt, had the baby in the basket floating down the river. That's wrong. It's not actually what the Bible says. So much of the Bible is familiar that it's easy to misread. Practice reading slowly, especially when, as you get better and better at reading, it's easy to read faster and faster. Mum hit him among the reeds. Now, we don't know what her plan was. We don't know what she was thinking. Secretly, I think she might have been planning to come back that night to retrieve the basket out of the river, feed him and maybe put him back again. Who knows? Whatever her plan was, it was a huge risk. She knew that she was entrusting her baby to God because she couldn't keep him safe. She left Big Sister watching, but she couldn't watch too closely because if she did, she'd draw attention to the basket and someone would investigate. Let's go on. Verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her slave girl to get it. Uh oh. An Egyptian has spotted the basket. Worse, an Egyptian has gone to get the basket. The daughter of the, and not just any Egyptian, this is the daughter of the Pharaoh. You remember Pharaoh? What was his command? Throw any Hebrew boys into the river. Will this princess do as her father has ordered? Let's read on. Verse 6 She opened the basket and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew boys, she said. Our sovereign God is able to bring people safely through death. Not only does this baby boy survive the crocodile-infested river, but he's been found by a woman with a tender heart, one who has compassion on him. Our God is sovereign. He is completely in control. How does she know he's a Hebrew, do you reckon? That's a pretty good guess. I mean, the fact that she's in, he's in the river is a pretty good guess, pretty good clue, isn't it? You know, why else would a baby be in the river? But it's probably more likely that he's circumcised. You might remember that God commanded Abraham that every boy should be circumcised when they're eight days old, if they're an Israelite. 
It was a sign of the agreement between God and Abraham, God and the family of Israel. It was a mark in the flesh that was impossible to remove, something that would mark them out as God's people, albeit in a bit of a private way. What, what marks us out as the people of God? What is it that makes people able to recognise us as God's people? Do the people that know you know that you're a Christian? This is something I push pretty hard with uni students when they, f- when they first start at uni, with Christian uni students. How can you make sure that your classmates know that you're a Christian? Make sure they know by the end of the first year, because if, if they don't, when you do bring it up, it's going to be really weird. What? You're a Christian? How long have you been hiding that for? Bring it up early. How can you ensure that your workmates, your friends, your neighbours the people you see at the shops, that friend you go bowling with, how can you make sure that they know you're a follower of Jesus? Are there changes that you need to make in your life that people will recognise you as one of Jesus' people? It's not easy, is it? You don't want to just, you know, tattoo a cross on your forehead and walk around. But there's got to be things we can do that make it clear that we are Jesus' people. That'd be something worth talking about over morning tea. Let's move on. Verse 7, then the baby's sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? This is a bold move. What makes this little girl think that the princess will want to keep the baby? She's the daughter of Pharaoh. He's ordered that all Hebrew baby boys be killed. Does this little girl really think the princess is going to defy her father? And yet, she rolls up to the princess and offers to find a wet nurse. Now, this would have been a pretty tense moment, I suspect. Now, as readers, we know that the Pharaoh's daughter feels sorry for the baby, but the little girl has no idea. This is moral imagination again. She's seen a chance to offer someone the opportunity to do good instead of evil. And so, she she suggests it. Verse 8, yes, go, answered the princess. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. What an outcome, what a beautiful outcome. I don't think mum could have ever imagined that this would happen. After three months of hiding this baby boy, this beloved, beautiful boy that she couldn't bear to part with. She committed him into the hands of God and threw him into the Nile. Could she have ever dreamed that this would end with her being paid a salary to look after her son? Incredible! Does it sometimes feel to you like God is missing in action? Do you feel like He's absent? Well, in this story, about a baby in a basket, God never shows His face, does He? He's never mentioned, no one, no one calls on Him, no one prays, and yet His presence is absolutely unmistakable. He never breaks cover, He never appears on the scene. But this series of coincidences in this story are just totally unbelievable, aren't they? For this to have just happened by random chance, beggars belief. Just think about it for a sec. 
It just so happens that on this particular day, mum decides she can't hide the baby anymore. Why didn't she decide yesterday? Or why didn't she decide it tomorrow? No, this particular day. And on that same particular day, she decides to hide him, not behind the house, not, I don't know, in, uh, under a basket somewhere, but in the river. Who thinks of hiding a baby in the river of all places? And it just so happens that the spot she chooses to hide the baby is the exact same spot where the princess comes to have her bath. Now, why is the princess bathing this day? Because most people in those days didn't bathe every day. It was about a monthly occurrence. So, it just happens to be the right day. And why this spot? Because normally you don't keep your slaves near the palace. So, why is the Hebrew mother hiding the baby here where the princess will find her? Or is the princess bathing near the slave area? Why is she doing that? It's just this ridiculous series of coincidences. And when she spots the basket, she doesn't think, oh, there's a bit of rubbish. She thinks, oh, what's that? And she sends someone to go and get it. And then, when she opens the basket and she discovers a slave child who's crying and probably by this point lying in his own filth, she feels compassion on him. The series of coincidences just beggars belief. For this to have happened by random chance is just totally astronomically out of all proportion. This story reminds us that our God is sovereign. He's in control of coincidences. Things don't happen by chance. Um, Years ago, I coined a phrase, a God incidence. Um, Coincidences are never by chance. God is in control. The small details of our everyday lives are in His hands. Many people assume that God is only present and active when He's visibly so, when we know about it. You know, great signs and wonders, angels appearing, disembodied voices in the still small silence, visions. Well, this story reminds us that God is at work in the mundane, the ordinary, the everyday. He is sovereign and in control, even when we are totally unaware. That's why we pray. We pray because we know our God is in control. We pray because we know He can do something. And we know that He is able. And so we pray and we ask Him to act, knowing that He is fully capable of doing as we ask. You don't pray to someone who can't do anything. Our God is sovereign over life and death. He's sovereign over every detail of our lives, even the things that seem like random chance. And that's what makes Pharaoh's efforts to stop God's plans so laughable. Have a look at verse 10. Look at how the story ends. When the child grew older, mum took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Finally, at last... The identity of the baby is revealed. It's Moses. Moses, the man that God would use to bring his people safely out of slavery in Egypt. The man who would bring them through the place of death again and again out to life on the other side. The man that God would use to speak his words to his people, who would forge the tribes of Israel into a holy nation dedicated to God's plans and purposes. 
Pharaoh's policy of throwing Hebrew boys into the Nile directly results in a Hebrew man living in the palace. What about, you know, that's, that's an irony, isn't it? This Hebrew baby boy becomes Moses, the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. He's in line for the throne. Whoops. You can't stop God's promises. Everything Pharaoh has tried has backfired. The things he intends for evil are used by the sovereign God for good. You can't stop God. You can't frustrate His plans. He is sovereign. He is in control of every detail of our lives. At times it can feel like He's absent, like He's missing in action, but He never is. Never. He is always with us. He is always present. He is always listening as we cry, Abba, Father. Why don't we do that now? Let's pray. Abba, Father, we praise you that you hear us when we pray. Our lives are busy and full, and it's easy to feel like we're cut off from you, like you're absent, like you're missing in action. Thank you for your promise that you will never leave us and never forsake us. Father, we're sorry for the times this week that we've acted like you don't matter when we've turned our backs on you, please forgive us. Thank you that Jesus went to the place of death instead of us. Thank you that you brought him safely out the other side and that you freed us from the penalty we deserve for the way we've treated you. Please give us that new life that you gave to Jesus. Help us to know your presence in our lives now. And cause us to keep clinging to Jesus until we reach that final day when we'll know you face to face and it'll be abundantly clear that you are always with us. Please help us now to live as your holy church and please use us to bring others to know and trust your son Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen.